Are you ready to watch the New York Jets' best receiver go to work this preseason? I am. I certainly am. But it's not a wide receiver. And I'm not sure who exactly it is. I just know he's not a wide receiver. He's either a running back, Bilal Powell, or a tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins. It's probably going to be Bilal Powell because Bilal Powell commanded 75 targets last season. 75 targets. Wow, right? He was one of the Jets' leading receivers and one of the top five most targeted running backs in the NFL last season. It's Bilal Powell. Bilal Powell personifies what I love most in running backs, the satellite plus skill set. The back who is big enough to absorb full-time touches while also possessing great receiving skills out of the backfield. At 205 pounds, Bilal Powell barely meets that threshold. We've never seen him absorb a full opportunity share for a full season. I question whether he can do it. I mean, thank goodness we have Matt Forte there to absorb some of those between-the-tackles carries so that Bilal Powell is not worn down. I can't believe that we're thankful for the existence of Matt Forte to ensure that our man, Bilal Powell, isn't worn down. I mean, imagine if we were having this conversation two years ago. It's surreal that we're having this conversation. But he's a fantastic running back, getting 75 carries, his catch rate over 75%. Woo! And when Bilal Powell gets the ball in space, he makes people miss. 29.6% juke rate was 14th in the league. By every measure, production premium, yards per touch. Across the board, he was one of the most efficient running backs in the league last season. He just needs more opportunity. And the nice thing is, if he gets opportunity with the Jets, he's not necessarily going to score touchdowns because they won't be in the red zone much, but they do have a top 10 run blocking unit. So there will be room to run for Bilal Powell. When he gets the ball in space, he's elusive. With quality blockers in front of him, he will be able to generate some splash plays. Maybe even some long touchdowns. I mean, that's what we want from Bilal Powell. He's going to have to generate some long touchdowns in order to return value on this constipated Jets offense. But I think he can. I think he has the ability. And you wouldn't know it looking at his workout metrics. All we have is his 40 time. 4-5-6. We don't have a burst score for him. Don't have an agility score. My guess is that his burst is good and his agility is great, but we'll never know. So below Powell's ability has always been a mystery, but now we're seeing it on the field. It's the only way we could know what Bilal Powell could be is to see it on the field, and he's been efficient now for two straight seasons. So it's official. He's good. We have a big enough sample size. And I think he could have 100 targets. It's not crazy to think about Bilal Powell commanding 100 targets in 2017. It's very reasonable. <laughs> so he's right there with Danny Woodhead. If you think about it, do the math. And Austin Safarian Jenkins, he may not command 100 targets, but you can see him commanding 80, which is significantly more than he did last year, 20, <laughs> be quadrupling. And that's conservative. Austin Safarian Jenkins quadrupling his 2016 target total is somehow conservative, but it is. It is. Because the reports from camp are that Austin Safarian Jenkins is dominating and the other receivers, the wide receivers, are not. The reports from camp are that Robbie Anderson has been struggling. We know that Jalen Marshall is suspended, and we know that Ardarius Stewart hasn't been healthy. He's been rehabbing. So what are we talking about here? Austin Severian Jenkins is competing with Robbie Anderson and essentially Chad Hansen, and of course Bilal Powell, to be the target leader for the Jets. I don't necessarily think Austin Severian Jenkins is going to get there. He probably will need a Bilal Powell injury. <laughs> this is just such a ridiculous conversation. 
question. I love talking about the Jets because it's just so ridiculous to think about Austin Severia Jenkins and Bilal Powell competing to be the top receiver, the most used receiver in the passing game. It's just silly. It's kind of fun to think about because this is where you can mine value. A Quincy Anunua goes down because of the law of the conservation of targets. Those 120 targets that Quincy Anunua was going to command this year have to be redistributed. Why not ASJ? Why not Bilal Powell? Don't forget, in 2015, before he became a raging alcoholic, Austin Safarian Jenkins posted a plus 10.3 production premium, 13th in the league, and a positive 31.3% target premium. So when you compare to Austin Safarian Jenkins per target output to the other receivers in that Bucks passing game in 2015, he was netting Jameis Winston 30% more on a per target basis. He was top 10 in yards per target too. Top 10 in fantasy points per target. He was incredibly efficient. And when players change teams, that's when the efficiency metrics matter most. So it matters to me that in 2015, Austin Safarian Jenkins commanded a 20% hog rate. So he was receiving a target every five snaps. That's what that means. He would have led the league in hog rate had he qualified for the metric. And you remember 2015, essentially, the Bucks would put Austin Safarian Jenkins in the game, in the red zone, and target him heavily, especially in the red zone. He had a 25% red zone target share that season. <laughs> that was seventh in the league. His per-snap usage was massive. Why? Because he's massive and athletic. When we talk about size-adjusted athleticism, we're talking about Austin Safarian Jenkins. He looks a lot like Tyler Eifert, only he's a little bit bigger and a little more athletic. An 11-20 agility score, a 10-26 catch radius. I mean, these are both in that 90th percentile range. And if you have great burst and speed and lateral quickness at 6'6-260, oh boy, whoa, then you're uncoverable on the football field. No linebacker can cover a football player with the dimensions and the athleticism that I just described because they tried to cover him in college as a full-time player and they couldn't. That's how we posted a 29.4% dominator rating. That was a better dominator rating than Laquan Treadwell. That was a better dominator rating than Kelvin Benjamin. That was a better dominator rating than Mike Williams at Clemson. Just to put Austin Safarian Jenkins' greatness in context. So when someone says the Jets don't have any skill position players left, that's wrong. They have two, Bilal Powell and Austin Safarian Jenkins. And we would say Matt Forte, but he has nothing left. And that's unanimous. Now, Philadelphia is another team that will not be featuring an efficient offense in 2016. This is not a prolific football team in any way. Defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball. No one is going to look back on 2017 and go, wow, that Eagles offense, spectacular. That Eagles defense, oh, don't want to play them. So we're looking at the receiver core after Alshon Jeffrey and wondering who's going to play where. And you're reading all of this talk from Philadelphia about how Nelson Aguilar has turned his career around, that he's been making plays in every practice. He's the top candidate to have a Devontae Adams massive third-year rebound. 
abysmal season, abysmal season, ascension. That's the Devontae Adams career trajectory, and fantasy analysts are predicting that now for Nelson Aguilar. The problem is Nelson Aguilar is still the fourth best receiver on the team, maybe the third best. You could argue who's better, Torrey Smith at this point in his career or Nelson Aguilar. I'm not sure. I'm not at practice. I'm not watching Torrey Smith. I don't know how much he has left, but I know for a fact that Nelson Aguilar is not better than Jordan Matthews, so get out of here. Just get out of here. But this is what I hear from people at Pro Football Focus. Well, it's between Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews for that inside slot receiver position. And I'm scratching my head thinking, well, most teams play a significant amount of three receiver sets. They have the split end and the flanker and the slot guy in the game at the same time. So why are Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews competing for one role? Why the assumption that Torrey Smith has the job locked up? What? And then I read on and I realize, oh, oh, even someone like Mike Clay, who's worked at Pro Football Focus and ESPN, only puts wide receivers in one of two buckets. Just outside or inside receiver. He doesn't talk about the split end, the flanker, and the Y slot guy. (laughs) It's just inside, outside. And definitively said that Jordan Matthews cannot play outside. And if he can't play outside, that means, according to Mike Clay, he can't play split end X, which I would agree with. That's not his specialty. But also that he can't play flanker, the Z position. That's what that means by just saying inside, outside, inside, outside, inside, outside. But when you oversimplify it to that degree... Of course, you're going to come to the conclusion that Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews are competing for one role on offense. The only role left, because Torrey Smith can play outside, Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews cannot. Now, I agree that Nelson Aguilar is best deployed in the slot because he's very limited. And so when a player's limited like Nelson Aguilar, you want to make sure he plays slot. Remember, his college dominator was 32.4%. Not impressive. His Spark X score, the Nike Athleticism score that we have on playerprofiler.com, it's under the 50th percentile. Below average yards per reception at the college level, average breakout age. So he was an average talent with a low yards per reception. That sounds a lot like an NFL slot receiver, does it not? But that's not Jordan Matthews' profile. Jordan Matthews posted a 48.3% dominator rating and an 18.1 100th percentile breakout age, as well, 123.3 91st percentile Spark X. 1019 catch radius, 83rd percentile. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Eric Decker. And like Eric Decker, Jordan Matthews improved every year, starting with his rookie year at Vanderbilt. Every year after that, he has improved until 2016. So seven straight years of annual improvement for Jordan Matthews, culminating in setting the Southeast Conference receiving yards record. And that buys him nothing. Coming off the first and only year in Jordan Matthews' career that he missed expectations in 2016. A career of excellence nullified by one down year. Does that make sense? No, that's illogical. It's also illogical to conclude that Jordan Matthews can't play outside after he dominated SEC competition playing X, Z, and slot during his time at Vanderbilt. Just like Eric Decker played X, Z, and slot during his time at Minnesota, where they both proceeded to dominate. And then Jordan Matthews went to the Philadelphia Eagles and has been productive out of the flanker position. 2,673 yards and 19 touchdowns in his first three years in the league. And yet now, now it's been decided that he can only play Y slot 
and he's incapable of playing any other position on the football field, incapable of any other route tree other than the quick slant and the quick out. Really? Really? See, that, 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 that just doesn't make sense. So why are you insisting that Jordan Matthews can only play Y? That's not true. Because if that were true, then Eric Decker wouldn't have a role in two receiver sets. And of course he does. For the Jets last year, when Eric Decker was playing, he was playing Z and Quincy Inunua was playing Y slot. Certainly Eric Decker can play slot in certain formations, but Eric Decker at his core is a prototypical NFL flanker. That's also what Jordan Matthews is. And when you understand the specific wide receiver roles in the West Coast offense, you realize you can't just divide wide receivers by inside, outside, inside, outside, inside, outside. Because the optimal roster configuration for the Eagles is either Alshon at X, Jordan Matthews at Z, Aguilar at Y, or Alshon at X, Torrey Smith at Z, Stretch Z, and Jordan Matthews at Y. Because Jordan Matthews, just like Eric Decker, can play either Y or Z. If it were me, if I were coaching the Eagles, having seen Torrey Smith underperform expectations for consecutive years and wanting to give an opportunity to Nelson Aguilar to break through, I would probably deploy my wide receivers with Alshon at X, Matthews at Z, and Aguilar at Y. And this also lines up with what the coaches are telling you. Because Doug Peterson is telling you, Jordan Matthews is not going to have a reduced role. And this idea that Nelson Aguilar is just dominating training camp practices is wrong. Because you read these tweets from beat reporters that are not being picked up by Roto World. And they're saying, oh, here's one from Jimmy Kempsky. Aguilar gets wide open on a deep post. Five yards behind the defense. Ball clanks off his shoulder pads. The consistency just isn't there. So that's an alternative viewpoint coming from Eagles camp. I don't think any wide receiver on that depth chart can challenge Jordan Matthews for the Z position. But technically, that's an outside position because he's outside of the slot receiver. And many analysts insist that that Jordan Matthews can't play there. He can't. He's not capable of it. Because they don't understand the difference between the Y and the Z. They're very similar players. They run a similar route tree. It's just that the Y route tree is more shallow than the Z route tree. (laughs) They're short and intermediate routes. You can run a short and or intermediate route from the outside. (laughs) How is this not obvious? Why the insistence on the oversimplification of inside, outside, inside, outside? I just don't understand it. Like, stop it. Just make sports fans and fantasy gamers dumber. That's why we have advanced metrics. And on Twitter, I've insisted that the reason why advanced metrics are better than film analysis, which is obvious, but if I have to state it, metrics are objective measurements. Film analysis is subjective. Then we had a buzzard write in. Of course. He replied by asking, your metrics have never caused you to form a bias of sorts that was inaccurate. Why wouldn't you just use both to evaluate players? Because film analysis is subjective and therefore useless. That's it. The more football you watch, the more biased you become. Again, how is this not obvious? This wayward buzzard is confusing data, which is objective, with the analysis of data, which can be hugely misguided. But data in and of itself is unbiased. But these subjective opinions about a player's ability gleaned from watching football games are soaked 
in observational bias. But then you go to the at FF Dynasty Trades Twitter handle and they posted a poll. What's more trustworthy? Evaluating players with film or metrics? Guess what? Film wins. <laughs> right? I mean, this just goes to show how misguided the fantasy football community is. It's backwards. It really is backwards. I mean, what's next? The earth is flat. Is that next? Really? I should post that poll. That's essentially what they're saying. Subjective is more trustworthy than objective. Okay. Film won 60 to 40. And I think it would have won by a bigger margin if I hadn't retweeted it. My followers got a hold of it and they skewed it back to something reasonable, but still could not overwhelm the film zombies that just wander over to that poll. Film. What is film? Just what some guy thinks he saw on TV. That's film. <laughs> Yet you read just reams and reams and reams of this masturbatory film analysis. And the king of the film grinders is Christopher Harris. Of course. Harris football. I know everything that happens on the football field because I watch every game. I watch every game. I'm putting the work in no one's putting in. You can trust my observations over all others. Yet I'm in the Apex Writers League with Christopher Harris. And he's drafting Corey Davis before Eric Decker and Rashard Matthews. <laughs> Just flying in the face of historic probabilities of rookie production. <sighs> Ignore all these metrics, analytics. I trust what my eyes tell me. Corey Davis over Decker and Matthews. <laughs> the beauty is in that league, I'm the one that drafted both Decker and Matthews later. <laughs> I'm going to stack him up and mow Christopher Harris down. But all I need to see is that one draft pick. Just show me that one draft pick. Walk me into a fantasy draft room and just let me see that one pick because that one pick is so revealing. That one Corey Davis over Decker and Matthews pick tells you everything you need to know about Christopher Harris's process. That he really doesn't have one, right? That it's a feeling. It's really what it is. His process is just his feelings when he's watching the game. Just the visceral response from watching these guys catch footballs and run around with footballs and get tackled with footballs, right? That one draft pick tells me there's a bad process and some really rotten analysis bubbling just below the surface that makes that draft pick possible. But I'm not privy to Christopher Harris's analysis because I don't listen to his podcast. Of course not. Right? I mean, that would be like Luke Skywalker wearing a Stormtrooper uniform. Well, actually, that happened. So, writing this down. Buy Stormtrooper costume and start listening to Christopher Harris's podcast. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm crossing this out. This is a silly exercise. You know I'm lying. I'll never listen to that podcast. But some of you do. And if you're not listening to it now, you should go listen to it because I want you to spy on Christopher Harris's podcast and report back to me the nonsense takes, the vapid analysis, and the unsubstantiated opinions. And we'll break it down on the show. It'll be mystery science theater because my curiosity has been piqued. I want to know what goes through the mind of an individual who drafts Corey Davis before Eric Decker and Richard Matthews. I need to know what is the process that led him from point A, evaluating these players, to point B, drafting Corey Davis before Decker and Matthews. So members of the audience, the minions, go out and collect strategic intelligence on the Christopher Harris podcast and report back to me. That is your mission. And speaking of bad process, 
Drafting a fantasy football team based on a cheat sheet is the heights of bad process. But we keep getting these questions. Will you publish a top 100 list, a top 200 list, a cheat sheet? Give me a cheat sheet. I need to know whether to draft a wide receiver or a running back based on your projections. No! Don't do it that way. We don't publish that because that would encourage listeners and site visitors to draft based on an aggregate list of projections. That's not how you draft. Because also projections are just what we think will happen under as-is conditions. It does not account for ceilings and floors. What a player does under perfect conditions is different than what a player is capable of if things break right for him. So, for example, we have Jeremy Macklin ranked ahead of Jamison Crowder on our rankings because we know Jeremy Macklin is locked in to the number one slot on the Baltimore Ravens target totem pole. We don't know where Jamison Crowder is going to slot in. We don't know exactly what Terrell Pryor is going to look like with competent quarterback play. So there's uncertainty there, which depresses Jamison Crowder's full season projection and wide receiver ranking. But when I'm drafting, I'm drafting Jamison Crowder because his ceiling operating on a prolific and efficient offense is much higher than Jeremy Macklin's ever could be on the Baltimore Ravens, one of the least efficient offenses in the league with perhaps the most overrated quarterback in the NFL. So do not draft off of rankings and projections. God. And even if I thought Jeremy Macklin had a higher ceiling than Jamison Crowder, I still wouldn't draft him over Jamison Crowder because Jamison Crowder's ADP is 30 slots higher than Jeremy Macklin's. So why am I drafting Jeremy Macklin in the sixth round when I can have Jamison Crowder and then just draft Jeremy Macklin in the seventh round? Again, because game theory matters in draft rooms. That's why you should not be drafting off of cheat sheets. And most cheat sheets are not configurable for the hundreds of league format variations that you find across various fantasy platforms. But fortunately, my friend Dave Cabin has solved this cheat sheet dilemma with FF Draft Prep. Go to ffdraftprep.com now. I mean it right now. Stop the podcast and go to ffdraftprep.com. I'll give you time. Go there now. FF Draft Prep provides a phenomenal tier-based roster construction-focused draft tool. It capitalizes on a number of concepts that we frequently talk about on this show and will allow you to easily track the quality of available supply against the demand in your draft, something a traditional cheat sheet can never do. The FF Draft Prep tool will help you identify which positions to target when based on your preferred roster construction methodology and the actions of your teammates. Yes, draft concepts with game theory wired into the tool. And this year's tool has a computer-driven mock draft capability. And here's the best part. It's free. It's free. It's free. Use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get it free. Except there is no promo code because it's free. So just go to FF Draft Prep and get it for free. And stop asking me about cheat sheets. Leave me alone. Yet you all continue to cry out for this all position universal cheat sheet Bible. Drafting off of cheat sheets is bad process because you should be following a draft concept, not just value-based drafting off a cheat sheet. 
Everything we've ever talked about on the show drives toward the conclusion that you should have already understood that drafting off of a cheat sheet's not the way to go. When I say run your own goddamn fantasy team, I mean you'll be better off if you run your team based on your league's configuration, based on your player preferences, based on your preferred draft concepts and roster construction methodologies. This is your team. You're the general manager. This is why they created Reality Sports Online. Because former front office personnel wanted to mimic the experience of being an NFL general manager. And so now you can virtually create a Dynasty League team complete with multi-year contracts for each player. Reality Sports Online also features blind bidding on free agents and the sophistication that serious Dynasty League enthusiasts are looking for without the complexity of a million settings demoralizing commissioners. So go to Reality Sports Online now, sign up for a new Dynasty League, join an existing one, and when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD. Rather than just turning off your brain and letting me draft your team for you, but that seems like what so many of you want to do. Fantasy football is an intellectual exercise, yet so many of you were in such a hurry to turn your brains off. If you don't implement the right draft concept, you're not going to win even with the best cheat sheet in fantasy football, which is what mine would be if I did one. This zeal for the cheat sheet represents intellectual laziness and a complete disregard for the variance in league configuration and roster construction precepts that are the keys to building your fantasy team. And many of you want my exact projections too. Yes, you want my exact projections for every player. Give me them. Give me the exact projection. I want to put them in my own database. Then generate your own projections then. Because I hate rankings to begin with. I'm doing the bare minimum because I don't like it. I only do rankings because that's what people want. I don't actually want to do them. Everyone's rankings are flawed. No one has perfect rankings. Nobody knows if Jordy Nelson is still fast at age 32. Nobody really knows if Tyreek Hill has honed his craft this offseason to the point that he could actually have consistent success against number one NFL shadow corners, achieve WR2 numbers in that primary receiver role in Kansas City. No one can predict injuries to an offensive line. Adrian Peterson was the number one running back on ESPN's projections last season. Think about that. Projections are a joke. And anyone that provides projections is telling you, oh, I got this. Don't worry. And look, they're out to the hundredths place. Look, see? Two decimals out. Precision, right? No, faux precision. It's just an educated guess. And you, as a fantasy gamer, should be doing your own educated guessing. I hate rankings and projections because they imply that we're not guessing. That we know. These rankings imply that I know something is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm crawling around in the dark like everyone else. But there's no fucking way I would ever draft Corey Davis over Eric Decker and Rashard Matthews. And when I say that projections are all just educated guesses, I'm not saying there is not an analytical process in place, a model in place behind the scenes generating these projections. But beneath the model are underlying assumptions. All projections are just assumptions stacked on top of more assumptions. So just go out there and run your own damn fantasy team.